Well, as many of you know, um, we are, um, after we uh, celebrated the resurrection of Christ on Easter, his ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit poured down upon all people, we're now looking at the implications of that, right? The implications of the fact that the Spirit has been poured out upon all people. And we're looking at how uh, the Lord began to work through the earliest church, the first Christians. And so um, if, if you remember, um, Jesus Christ, would, before he went up into heaven, said this. But, when, but, um, but uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and, uh, and uh, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And St. Thomas's has sort of imbibed that, if you will. Uh, we believe we're called to be ambassadors, witnesses, uh, where we live, work, play, learn, and beyond. And so here was this command, though that's sort of a strict term. A command is often things you, you are told to do, even though you don't want to, to uh, do them. I would say here's the privilege of the Lord commissioning us uh, to, to go out and make disciples who make new disciples in the whole world. That's a great plan. That's a great goal. And, and how do we, but, but of course the question comes up, well, how do we do this? Right? And it's that question, which we see answered right here. The church is given a message to proclaim to the world. We're to be heralds of the reality of a new kingdom. Of love and forgiveness and hope and peace. And we collectively call that message in the church the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And today what we see, though it was proclaimed in the time of Christ, of course, but what we see is sort of the first um, instance of the Holy Spirit empowered church proclaiming this gospel to the world. We see the message of the gospel contained right here. And to really see the essence, the heart of what our message is to this fallen and dark and broken world, I want to focus on three elements, three aspects that Peter gives us of the core message, the primary message of our church. And these are the three things. Number one, the bad news. Number two, the good news for, for you, for us sinners. But the number three, the good news for the world. So the first thing is the bad news. The second thing that, that we see is, hey, no, no, but, this, but, but there's good news for you, Peter says. And then finally, there's good news for the world. So first element, first aspect of the gospel that we see here is the bad news. Verse 36. Peter's just given this long sermon and look at what he says here. He ties it up. This is his application. He says, now let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both him being a Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucify. Bang. Pow. <laughs> Explosion, right? Now, keep in mind the context of this. You heard me say it a, a little bit earlier is that Peter has just 
been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's telling the very men who crucified Christ who he really is. And he's showing them the reality of their hearts. The reality of their sinfulness. Is that they are so evil. That they took the very one God had sent to rescue them. And they killed him. They vilified him. They, they in their minds made him evil on top of evil. Now, a quick, a quick caveat here. If, don't forget who's speaking here. Right? I think it's important to see who's, who's speaking. Because if you read this blank without really knowing Peter's story, you would think he was the most arrogant person in the world. Who is Peter to ever tell anyone that, that they're sinners? Well, of course, this is Peter, right? The one who promised Jesus. He was supposed to be the chief apostle. He promised Jesus before he went to the cross. Jesus, I will never abandon you. Then Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And Peter said, that's never going to happen. I will die before I ever deny you. Well, if you don't know the story, that's exactly what happens. Jesus was right Peter, when his very life was on the line, denied his Savior three times. But yet, as we saw um, later in that story just a few weeks ago, how it's Jesus that seeks Peter out first to share forgiveness. To let Peter know that he um, that his sins have not separated him from him. So Peter is no moral, arrogant person. His sins condemned Jesus to the cross just as much as the men he's speaking to. So out of the caveat, back onto the main road. What Peter is telling these men is that they are sinners. He's telling me hard truth. Now, there are many really good definitions of sin in in the scriptures, but the one encapsulated in this verse, in verse 36, tells us much about the reality, not just of their hearts, but of my heart. And, And I would argue of your hearts, too. God made him both Lord and Christ. And what um, Peter's doing here is he's using two terms to really hammer home the uh, reality that Jesus is God's appointed ruler. He's God's appointed king. He's God's appointed shepherd over us. And God, for our own blessing to rescue us from the darkness of this world, not to enslave us, but to rescue us. Sent this great ruler, this great shepherd king, Jesus, who, if we would simply follow him, would protect us from ourselves and make us a great blessing to the world. He just simply said, come and follow me. Come and submit to me. Come and submit. Now. Even as I'm saying these words, I was typing these words out this week. And and even in that word, submit, right? Even as I think those words, I can feel my own heart, my own spirit bristling. I'm not submitting to anyone. No one's going to have control over me. 
This is my life. No one is going to tell me how to live it. I'm an American, right? <laughs> we threw kings out, right? Well, this is so rooted deep in us. If you were to guess what the top two most popular funeral songs are in the U.S. and in Britain, one of them is Amazing Grace. No surprise there. As I was doing my research, apparently the most popular version of that is Leanne Rimes' version. Okay. Um, I would have chosen Mahala Jackson, but Leanne was good. I listened to her. She's excellent. Right. But you know, the, and, the, and they kind of trade for like the top spots. You've got Amazing Grace. That's kind of predictable. You know what the second one is? My Way by Frank Sinatra. Right? Now, it's, it's, it's a long song. Don't worry. I'm not going to sing it. Right? I'm, I, that's, I, I'm here to bless you, not to curse you. Um, but it's too long to quote the whole thing here. But the last verse summarizes the whole attitude, right? The whole attitude of it. And, it, and it's this. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. Now, just once again, a caveat. I love Frank Sinatra. I don't know if he's a believer. I haven't done the research. But I think that regardless of that, this song that he has, why it's captured so many hearts, why we kind of want that to be the, the last word spoken about us, is that this really encapsulates this desire to be our own God, to not submit to anyone. Now, I think that um, if we we can kind of say, well, that's just how we are. But I think that the scripture brings us more deeply into to this. And it answers the question, what drives this attitude? Why are we so recalcitrant? Why are we so um, unwilling to submit or surrender to anyone, especially God? Well, I can look at my own heart and I can say there's one reason. Fear. Fear that if I submit or surrender or follow anyone, not just even God, but especially God, because he's powerful, right? If I submit to him, he will rob me of what makes me happy. He's the ultimate threat. And you see, we see God's claim on us as a threat to our very existence, to our very self-definition. If I follow him, he will destroy me. So what do I do? What do we do? We crucify him. Remember, that was meant for the worst of the worst. God is evil. We nail him up. We push him out. We say, you're here to enslave me, to rob me, to punish me. Unfairly. So I will make you evil of evil and I will push you out. Now, I don't need to go any further than my own life to see this, to have an example of this. When I was a young man, I still consider myself a young man. But when I was a really young man, OK, um, I was practicing law and I and I was beginning to engage more deeply with our Lord. And I began to feel this supernatural tug in me that the Lord wanted all of my life. Not just my spirit, but 
all of me. And this terrified me to my core that he would take away the very things that I attached my happiness to. My status within the community. My desire to have a house on the water. My desire to have this kind of life. And so the way that I responded when I began to feel the the Lord um, exercising his lordship over me was I went into a deep spiritual slump in which I found every single way to try and discredit who God is. And one day, I think I was in church or something, I don't remember, but the spirit of the Lord moved in me and I was shocked to see how many lies I had told myself. I had ignored every experience of his love and reality that that I had felt up to that point and simply said, those are all just that's just all manifestations of a wishful heart. I'm grown up now. I don't need that anymore. But they're very real at the time. I tried to explain away every truth I believed in about God, every truth that I read from the scriptures and in that inexplicable way just rings the bell of your heart in a comforting and in a challenging and just that overall ring of truth. Try to explain that that away as as simply creations of man. And what ended up happening was I was dressing up my objections in, in, in intellectual garb because in reality, I didn't want the Bible to be true. I didn't want Jesus to be Lord. I was afraid of what my life would look like if God was in control of it. Now, my hope and my prayer is that many of you here today can identify with this. That when you hear, hey, Jesus is Lord over every aspect of your life. There's fear. There's a running away. There's even a cursing of God. Worse. And I would argue this is worse. I'd rather have someone give a flat rejection of God because then you kind of know where that person stands but what I think is worse, what I think is more endemic of me and, and, and maybe you too, is there's a softening of God's lordship to fit your needs. I'll accept your lordship here, but I'm holding on to this part of my life as my own. I'm going to be in control of this part, Lord. And you see, this is sin. I don't need you, God. I'm going to do it my way. Well, if that's you, like it's me, let me, with what I hope is the greatest humility a heart can can foster, warn you. Just as Peter does. Let's let Peter warn you. Not because I want to continue, but because I want you to know life and I want you to, to know rescue. You are in great danger. Your desire to self-rule will not give you freedom. It will actually enslave you and kill you. The worst thing you could ever get is what you really want. And every human being on this planet, whether we acknowledge it or not, suffers from this disease, is in the same peril. And so before we can have the good news, the first thing that a loving disciple Peter and that he learned from his loving Savior Christ is that we at our hearts, at our cores are rebels. And whether we do it publicly or privately, we're constantly trying to crucify Jesus Christ. 
by our own desire to rule ourselves. That's the bad news. Well, hopefully our story or our own hearts track with the rest of what's happening in this passage. Hopefully you are cut to the heart as these people were by this bad news. And this phrase cut to the heart just doesn't sort of mean caught off guard or a little bit curious. It means a deep remorse for your actions, for your rebellion, for your rejection of God's loving gift of his son Christ. But hopefully your heart is also asking the same question as they were asking. When they were cut to the heart, they turned to Peter and said, brothers, what shall we do? And that brings us to the second aspect of the gospel. That the gospel isn't just bad news. It's bad news which leads to good news for you. Look at what Peter says. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've grown up in America, especially in the South, you've probably heard that a million times. You've certainly heard it at least once, right? Repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. And the problem with these terms are we feel like that we know what they mean because we've heard them a lot. But when we slow down and look at what they mean, they're incredibly powerful. Repent means to stop. It means to literally turn around, turn, have a change of heart, turn away from being the ruler of your own life. And turn to Jesus Christ and follow him. But not just because it's the right thing, but because in your heart there's been this realization of the great love that's been poured out upon us. You're wrong, Lord. I, I, I mean, I'm wrong, Lord. You're right. God, I hate to admit it, but you're right about me. I'm a selfish rebel who doesn't trust you. I'd rather trust myself. But as I'm hearing this gospel of your love for, for me, that you would come and die for me, that you would come and bring me in rebel that I am. My heart is changed. And repent and, and be baptized or repent in a, in a belief. There, it's, it's not one happens, then the other. They kind of happen simultaneously. Because to be baptized just simply means to believe. It does refer to the actual Ritual of uh, water, but it's shorthand of putting your trust in the promise that Jesus Christ's work on this earth and death on the cross were enough to save us. Were enough to save you. The forgiveness of sins comes. Can you imagine how shocked that these people were when they heard this? They had committed the greatest sin possible. They had crucified God. Nailed him to a tree. Called him the devil. Called him evil. Mocked him. And yet it was to these people that the Lord sent Peter first. Out of great love for them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And what great work was required of them to make up for this sign of the greatest rebellion of the human heart? What impossible task was, was, was given them to atone for their sins? Nothing. Jesus had done it from start to finish for them. 
He simply says, stop trying to save yourself. Rule your own life and trust, relax, rest into the reality that Jesus has saved you completely. And what is true for these people who literally cried out for Jesus to be crucified? Praise God is true for you and for me in this day, in this place. You see, this is the heart of the good news that he offers forgiveness of sins. The weight of that guilt can be taken off of us forever. Because you see, the forgiveness is not just for past sins, but for today's sins, for next week's sins, for next year's sins, for a lifetime of sins. And all this is taken away. Sins you know you do, and sins you had no idea you even did. And sins that come from doing nothing at all. Every single sin has been dealt with by Jesus Christ because he chose to take the weight of them for us. All is forgiven. This is good news for me today. Don't let this collar fool you. I'm a leader. Mainly in sins. Simply surrender. Lay down your arms. And trust that Jesus is the good shepherd. And this of course. Takes us to the third aspect of the gospel. That we see here. That it's not just the bad news. Which then leads us to the good news. right? The good news that God has saved us. Rescued us. Taken away the guilt and the stain of sin. And we're with him forever. But it's also good news for the whole world. Look at how Peter takes this versus the end part of verse 29 verse um, or verse. Uh, I can't read anymore in end part of verse thir thir 38 and 39. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. OK, that's part of the fruit, right? For the promise of salvation of the Holy Spirit being poured down upon you. Is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You see, the Holy Spirit, he's not only the one that sort of saves us and roots the truth of the gospel in our own hearts and gives us love for, for God. But he's also the one who empowers us to go out where we live, work, play and learn and beyond. And bring this good news to others in word and deed. And you see, so many American Christians, myself included, end after the second aspect of, of the gospel, right? I'm saved. Stop at personal for forgiveness. And I'm going to go on living my life just like everyone else does. And I'll take the American dream and I'll baptize it. Right? Hashtag blessed, right? That's, that's the big thing. And as I said, I am guilty of that in my soul. But the scriptures take us deep, much, much deeper. We are saved so that we may proclaim this salvation to all. 
I love what I do, um, and it can be daunting at times because there's so many, um, I deal with so many non-Christians or, or non-churchgoers, and I sow a lot of love out, and not much comes back, if, if, if any, but once in a while the Lord blesses me, right? And just this week, I had someone tell me that they started coming to St. Thomas's first fruit for their kids, right? And why their kids be moral, upright people and such and such, right? But then they began to listen. They began to hear what was preached. They began to see what was celebrated. They, they began to meet all of you. And they realized that God was talking to things that they were struggling with. They began to feel a deep sense of God's love and peace in their life. It was as if this person said, you had written that sermon or you had um, sent those people to me just for me. And this person had been to bunches of churches their whole lives. But they hadn't ever felt God's presence and love and forgiveness and acceptance like they had in this place. Now, all of us are part of that story. It's not just me. Why is that important? Well, well, A, I don't want you to think that I'm an arrogant jerk, right? Okay, <laughs> that's the first part. B, is that we're just ordinary people. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing outstanding about any of us. Except we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the power to proclaim the gospel and to bring the blessing of this good news into people's lives. We are literally part of God's plan to save people. And if you've ever been a part of that, either remotely or a little bit or full on, you know, it's the greatest life ever lived. You know, it's the greatest joy. It's even more miraculous than watching a child being born is watching the Lord save someone. The gospel is not just good news. It's good news through us to the whole world. I end with this. Though this happened in the past, this sermon, this message happened in the past, it's not for the past. It's for the present and it's for, for the future. What's good news to those men and women that heard this message 2,000 years ago is still good news today. Take this gospel. Depart not from it. It is the fuel which just drives everything in your life. And it is the salvation of souls even today. When you go out, share the bad news. But then share the good news. And then know that they and you are part of the Lord's plan to bring this good news to the whole world. And this gospel is truly good news for us sinners indeed. Amen.